Support for today's show comes from Locker Room, the best place to talk sports. Make sure to follow me on Locker Room at Jake Reiner, and I'll invite you to chat on my weekly baseball room, uniquely titled Meeting on the Mound. Download Locker Room for free on the Apple App Store today and join the conversation. My next guest on Meeting on the Mound is Rennell Brooks-Moon. She is entering her 22nd season as the San Francisco Giants public address announcer. She is the second woman in MLB history to become a full-time PA announcer following her predecessor with the Giants, Sherry Davis. Rennell, thank you so much for joining me for a Meeting on the Mound. Thank you so much for having me, Jake. It's so nice to meet you. Thank you so much. And I do have to say, I discovered this year that I'm actually the third because there was the Boston Red Sox actually had a female PA for two seasons in the late 90s, 96, 97, I think it was. And I just discovered her through one of my Twitter followers who sent me an article that was written about her in 2017. I had no idea. So her name is Leslie Sterling. And I want to give her a huge shout out as I stand on her shoulders and I stand on Sherry Davis's shoulders as well. Well, that's fantastic. And if you're just finding it, finding that out for the first time, it means I'm just finding out for the first time. So I don't feel so bad about the research that I did. But yes, we should definitely give as many thanks to everybody uh, that that came before you, and also after you, or you know, has joined you uh, in the booth um, for different teams, which we'll get into. So the Giants historically have been on the forefront of breaking these barriers. And I'm sure you thought about carrying the baton from Sherry, but what was that first season with the Giants in 2000 like for you at the brand new ballpark? Jake, it was magical. It was nerve wracking (laughs) at times, challenging at times, but it was ultimately just a complete and utter blast. I mean, I had no idea what to expect. I mean, we even made it to the first round of the playoffs my first season. Um, It was just extraordinary. Being a a huge baseball fan and having grown up rooting for both the Giants and the A's, I mean, it was like a pinch me moment all 81 games of that season that how am I the voice of my childhood team? It was really, really extraordinary. And I have to say the best thing about it was – I was the only woman in the entertainment department that season. And I was, of course, you know, a little nervous, apprehensive about how the guys were going to receive me. Um, And I have to, again, give all props to Sherry Davis because she took a lot of hits for me that I didn't have to take. Not that I'm not still taking them, Jake. Let me just say that. (laughs) But, um, you know, she busted that door down for me. And it turns out that I, you know, I had a radio career for 35 years here in San Francisco. And turns out that a lot of the young guys that were on the crew actually grew up listening to me on the radio. So they already had kind of this built in uh, familiarity with me, uh, knowing how much I love sports and baseball and um, just grew to have really wonderful relationships with all of those youngsters who are now grown folks with kids and I've emceed weddings and been to baby showers and everything. So it's the relationships that I made with those guys 
that first season that means the most to me because it's I'm oftentimes the only woman or the only person of color or the only black woman, you know, to do something in my radio career as well. And that comes with its challenges and it comes in with built in critics. I mean, I was getting criticized, Jake, before I even you know turned on a microphone, before I even did a game. Mm. So making those long lasting friendships and relationships was really one of the one of the most rewarding things to come out of that first season that I didn't even expect. When you came into that season, a lot riding on it, obviously, given the fact of all the things you just mentioned, but being in radio obviously prepared you to be behind the mic, but PA announcing is a different beast. What was that like? How did you find your new voice, so to speak? And how did you uh, do in your first season there? Yeah, I um, I actually really feel like my my broadcasting career really actually did help me um, in this role. And in fact, I was told that the Giants wanted to hire a new announcer for the ballpark. They still wanted it to be a female. Applaud them for that. Yes, but definitely. But they wanted uh, it to be a female with broadcast experience. So um, I was invited to audition in uh, the fall of 1999. And I really felt that my broadcasting, it's, it's a lot kind of Jake, like doing a radio show because there's a lot of moving parts. You know, there's sponsor copy to read and there's promotional copy to read and there's prizes to give away, you know, it all in the context of doing the game as well. Right. So it was very much like doing a really fast paced morning show. But in terms of how I approached, you know, announcing the players, um, I didn't. I never want to be bigger than the game itself. It's not about me. I'm your host for the day. Let me just guide you through the game. And then I'll let the energy of the fans as well as the game action determine how high or how, or how low I will go. But I will say that I did get a lot of positive reaction um, based uh, from the first, this is a trivia question, ladies and gentlemen, first Giants player I ever announced in 2000, uh, was number seven, Marvin Bernard. <laughs> <laughs> I exaggerated. I wish, I wish honestly that I got to guess that. I don't know if I would have guessed Marvin Bernard, but right? that is pretty cool. Right? So in always the energy for that, you know, for the leadoff batter, I always punch that. And so I was like, number seven, Marvin Bernard. I kind of <laughs> gave it a little. Even it was, it became so popular. Even Chris Berman on ESPN was imitating me. introducing oh, Marvin that's Bernard. so cool. Yeah. So, so cool. and you know, Jake, my style has evolved over the years. I, I can't believe it's like my 22nd season, but you know, I've relaxed it a bit. Cause those first, you know, couple of seasons, I was like, you know, don't, don't play it fast and loose. Don't interject a lot of your personality right now. Let everybody get to know you, you know, you know, and so, and I've kind of evolved over the years now. So I would, if you listen to me in 2000 and listen to me this season, you'll hear two different women, I'm sure. Oh, of course. And the what I hear when you're talking is uh, very uh, reminiscent of, of how Vince Scully approached his games in terms of listening to the crowd and knowing how to uh, meet the moment. And it's very interesting how that translates to PA announcing. Was there a an audition process for this and how did that go? Yes, there most certainly was. And I get goosebumps every time I tell this story, Jake. Um, I was doing the Rennell in the Morning show on 98.1 KISS FM here in San Francisco. Yes. And after the show, I checked my voicemail messages and I had a message from the vice president of marketing for the San Francisco Giants. 
um, letting me know, informing me that they were going to hire a new PA announcer for the new ballpark. Would I be interested in auditioning for that job? And I was like, say what now? <laughs> say what? Come again now? So, I mean, I lost it. I just completely lost it. And the first person I called, though, Jake, was my mom. Because my mom is uh, one of the reasons I love baseball. This is her sport. This is her team. She was pregnant with me in 1958 when the Giants moved out west. Um, and, I mean, as a child, I mean, from my earliest memories, we were at Candlestick Park every summer. And then when Oakland came, we were at the Coliseum every summer. My brother uh, had dreams of being a major leaguer. We were going to all of his tournaments in the summer in the Central Valley. And I just thought that's how every family was. Yes. You know, the radios, the games are on the radio and the TV. I mean, I just thought what everybody did as I grew up I realized I was <laughs> I was in a club of my own um but uh so I I could not wait to tell her because I knew how thrilled and proud she would be I mean I haven't even called him back I haven't even auditioned yet but I had to let her know that I was going to be in the mix so from there I I did an audition at Candlestick Park and it was um starting lineups and some sponsor copy and you know things of that nature and again, I called my mom right after that. And I was like, mom, even if I don't get this job, what a thrill and an honor to hear my voice on the PA system at Candlestick Park. What? Then I got a call back a few weeks ago to come in for a second audition. I mean, a few weeks after that to come in for a second audition. A call back. I got a call back. Yes. <laughs> I, why did I not use the showbiz phrase? My bad, Jake. My bad. So I got a call back, got through that one, and then... I was called back for a third audition and that one um, pretty much the same um, type of audition, the same, you know, the starting lineups and different copy reads. But then they surprised me and said, well, now you're going to go meet with Peter McGowan, the late Peter McGowan, who was our um, managing general partner at the time. And I, again, I'm like, say what now? <laughs> <laughs> because Jake, I am a Virgo and nobody over prepares more than I do. Okay. I always do my homework. And I was like, I was in no way, shape or form prepared. And I was a little thrown off by that. And quite frankly, pretty intimidated by it as well. And he had his yellow legal pad and he never looked me in the eye. And I was like, well, this is not going well at all. <laughs> um, and then two weeks went by, didn't hear anything. And I kind of just resigned myself because that third audition, they said it was down to me and one other. So I'm like, well, let, let, me, let me give it all I got. So then um, two weeks went by and the Friday before my husband and I were leaving for Maui for Thanksgiving vacation, I got the call that I got the job. So mm. best Thanksgiving ever, I have ever, to say. Yeah. Wow. I love that story. <laughs> A lot of people after listening to that story could say, I can't imagine what that feeling must have been like to hear your voice booming throughout the entire stadium. But I actually can say that I have, I have felt that because I'm going to just tell you a little uh, anecdote here. When I was, I don't know, 12, 13 or something, uh, I did this twice. They used to allow kids to read the starting lineup at Dodger Stadium. And so I got a, I got two shots to do it. And I remember one time I did it. I can't remember what year it was, but I remember the players on the team, of course. And 
it, it, it was the most nervous I've ever been in my entire life. Of course, you know, the stadium is packed, uh, or at least at Dodger Stadium, they were still kind of funneling in. They, they weren't, it wasn't going to get packed to the third inning. That's the big joke. But <laughs> right. um, there was enough people there to make me nervous. And I, I remember that, the, that moment of just hearing your voice, because there's a delay when you're, you know, reading it, and just staying concentrated, reading the lineup, and just doing it with the most passion that I've ever had. And it was cool to look over at the Dodgers dugout because the players were going nuts because they're like, who is this kid? He's going crazy. And I remember uh, a couple of players on the team, like I remember seeing Dave Roberts, who was playing for the Dodgers at the time, now the Dodgers manager, and he was freaking out. And like, it was really cool. And like afterwards, like I walked by the dugout and I got a few high fives from the from the players. And oh, man, it was it was the biggest thrill. So to get to do that for your job every single day for 80, 81 home games. I, I can't imagine what that's like. It's, it, it's, it is bananas. Let me tell you. And, you know, like I said, my broadcasting career really served me well in this and, and the echo um, didn't bother me because I actually have, I've sung the national anthem several times out here before I got the Giants job for the Oakland A's and for the, now Las Vegas Raiders. Don't get me started <laughs> on that, Jake. I'm very disgruntled and upset about that. I can imagine um, because the, the 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 Rams have left a couple times and moved around, and they just came back. So I I, I get it. Ugh. But that I got used to the echo from having performed the anthem so many times, so that wasn't foreign to me. Um, but yeah, it's it's just the greatest thrill. And the first game, April 11, 2000, Jake, I was on the field for the entire pregame ceremony. Wow. At the podium on the field on the pitcher's mound. And I was like, whoa, so this is going out to everyone. Yes. But again, it's the it's the performance background and my broadcasting background. Um, and I felt I mean, that morning I had butterflies and I was nervous, but something about it, Jake, when I get on camera or on the microphone, all the nerves just go away because I know I'm doing what I was meant to do and I'm just privilege to do it. And I know how much responsibility comes with it. So um, I, I just, I sailed through that pregame ceremony. It was like, woo, now let's do the game. And I'm most thrilled that my late father, my parents were in the, in the stands. Oh, I'm glad that my dad funny. lived to see me get this job. Yeah. I, I too come from the, the broadcast world and often people will say, I, I don't understand how you can get up on TV like that, but it's so true. It's like, you've been doing it for so long, you know what, you know what it takes. And when you get behind the mic or you get on TV, you're, you're at home, you know, that's, that's where you feel most comfortable, which is, which is funny to most people. Um, I want to talk to you about some of your career highlights or the highlights that you've been in the booth for, um, so we talked about the inaugural season at what's now called Oracle Park. It's had about 15 different names. At the, um, but I remember it. I remember it as Pac Bell when it first started. Um, you were uh, behind the mic during Barry Bonds' home run chase in 2001, Matt Cain's perfect game in 2012, three World Series championships. And in fact, in 2002, you became the first woman to PA a world, uh, world championship game in any professional sport. And your scorecard is in is in Cooperstown. So I know. I mean, I, I know you know all this, but just for people that don't know, um, do you have some favorite moments? Any any stories from the booth that really uh, stick out to you? I have so many, and I actually in lockdown, I've started to write 
write my book. I'm, you know, taking little baby steps and because I continue, I always journal, but you know, I was like, well, now I have the time because I didn't know what was going to happen last season. I have the time to kind of get started with these stories, but there are so many. And Matt Cain's perfect game, of course, the Barry Bonds uh, home run record in the single season uh, home run record. And the thing about Barry, as you know, <laughs> as you know, Jake is Barry has a flair for the dramatic always and almost each and every milestone home run he hit at home. Yeah. Right. So that was just extraordinary to be on the mic for that, for all of those milestone home runs. It was just incredible. And uh, the perfect game, of course, but beyond the games, Jake, I, I've been able to meet some of my all time favorite players and heroes, which is something I didn't expect. That's an added perk that comes with this job. There was one game and Lou Brock was at the ballpark uh, for some sort of MLB promotion. And I texted uh, somebody that was in promotions with him. And I said, if there's any possibility could, you know, I would love to meet him. Obviously I can't get up, (laughs) go meet him. And I never, you know, I never heard anything back. And next thing I know, like in the third inning, he shows up in the booth and Jake, he, and then he sat with me for like two innings. They were trying to get him. They're like, we got to get you to the suite. You know, he's doing an autograph signing or something. And he's like, no, I would, I would like to stay with her for a while. I was like, Oh my God. That's so cool. And from that, I was able to, uh, two or three years after that, he was being honored at the Trumpet Awards in Atlanta, which is a foundation that honors black excellence every year. And I was asked, dig this, Jake. I was asked to co-present Lou Brock with the Sports Legend Award along with Bob Gibson. Oh man. What is happening in my life right now, right? You're living a dream life is what you're living. Incredible. And so it's though it's those moments. And then the, when we had the all-star game in 2007, that really actually is probably my, that's up there in my top five favorite memories. Um, because uh, I got to get out of the booth and do like sideline reporting for the celebrity all-star game and the futures game. Um, and that was amazing. And Barry Bonds had a party. Of course he did the night before and like, Everybody was there. Jeter, Ryan Howard, Big Poppy, Carlos Beltran. I mean, it was just, I was like a child at Disneyland. Yes. And I remember Ryan Howard had just been on David Letterman's show. So I ran over and I started chopping it up with him about his appearance on, on David Letterman. And I, it, I actually really kind of get starstruck around these guys, Jake, but being at Barry's party, there was like, they knew that I was someone because I was Barry's party, right? So I kind of, I felt just, I just went for it. I just went up to all of them and it, I would never ever do that in another circumstance. I'd get really, I turn into a, a teenage girl and I just get all cuckoo, cuckoo crazy. Right. So um, the big poppy started talking to me in Spanish. He thought I was Puerto Rican <laughs> and I had to give him what little Espanol I know. And he was fantastic. Carlos Beltran said, it's so refreshing to hear a woman's voice. And then years later, he becomes a giant for a season. Mm-hmm. But the best part of the night, Jake, Derek Jeter was sitting in a booth all by himself. And I was like, this is my chance. 
I went, I went over to him. I extended my hand. I said my name and, you know, what I do for the Giants. He gets up, takes the hand. He brings me in, Jake, and I get the, I get a Jeter kiss right oh, here, man. man. I get a Jeter kiss, and I'm like, what is happening? And then I talked to him because he had recently hosted SNL. So I was talking to him about how hilarious and what a great job he did. But I tell you, I would never, I would never do this in, in real life, right? Yeah. And and so and then um, I also got to spend the day, the day before the celebrity softball game with Ernie Banks. My husband Amazing. and I got to spend the whole day with Ernie Banks because he was like the manager of one of the celebrity teams. And same thing, he was like, "Come sit with me, sit down with me. I want to hear all about what you do." You know, these players. I, I here's the point where I get emotional, Jake. Could never have imagined that somebody that looks like me would become a PA announcer. The Ernie Banks and the Lou Brocks and the Buck O'Neills, who I got to meet at one spring training, mm-hmm. and Bob Gibson. And they take such great pride and have interest in, you know, how I got the job. And it, it, it's just remarkable. And it's just, it's something I never imagined would happen, you know, when I got this job. And then also meeting you know, the visiting broadcasters, you know, uh, uh, you mentioned Vince Scully. And I mean, I just, who, I mean, what a class act. He, I mean, he always said hello to everybody, right? He was always so kind. And the last day we had him before he retired at our ballpark, it was heavy security and they weren't letting that was a lot his, of people. That was his last game ever. That was his last game. Yeah. That's right, because we always end with you guys. We always end the season with you guys. <laughs> Got to. So there was like, they weren't letting a lot of people in the booth because there was so much, you know, attention. Everybody wanted to get in there. And and I just, I just, I knocked, I asked the stage manager, I go, could I maybe just, I just want to, you know, give him my best. And he totally, he totally made it happen. And his wife was so sweet to me as well. She was, you know, Wanted to know how I got into it as well. But, you know, so Ben Scully, I, you know, met Keith Hernandez when he comes to town and met Mark Grace and David Ross. And uh, it's just, you know, Marty Brenneman, you know, the great broadcasters. And it's just been so, uh, Jim Palmer. I met just, the list goes on and on. And they're in Dave Roberts. I love we, you know, he was a giant. He's a forever giant. And Got to know him really, really well. Yeah, that's what and you think. <laughs> what's that? I said, that's what you think. He's not a forever giant. <laughs> well, that's what we call our alumni. <laughs> I didn't come up with it, Jake. I didn't come up okay, with it. Okay, okay. But uh, uh, he was also super supportive. And I get to see him oftentimes when, when the Dodgers come to town. And he's great. But I just never imagined that this job would allow me to meet some so many of my legends really and you know it's it's been it's been so incredible and i'm grateful every day yeah it's it's interesting because i too feel that same way around athletes ball players starstruck versus meeting your you know your typical celebrity and and i've always revered these guys um and have the utmost respect for them so it's cool to hear the the laundry list of of players and legends that you've met over the years. Were there specific names that you have announced over the years that you love to announce? And how did you choose what 
to punch up like their the the syllables in their last name or the syllables in their first name give me some some players that you really love to announce when they came up to the plate well, of course, I loved announcing Barry, but I don't think anybody ever heard me because the crowd was so enormously loud and out of their minds and everything. But I mean, every single time, no matter what the score was, you know, the crowd just went bananas and the phones and the cameras came out and everything. Um, Andres Galarraga was a lot of fun to announce. Um, a lot of visiting players over the years like, um, oh, Nomar Garcia Para was a particular <laughs> favorite of mine. And I would always go, uh, Garcia, pause, little dramatic pause, Para. Yes. And, uh, and I don't know why, Jake, there's no rhyme or reason. I just kind of. It's just what you feel. It's exactly what I feel. And again, that's my performance background and my broadcasting background. Jared Saltalamachia. The longer <laughs> the name, the more fun they are, right? Yeah. Um, but you have to differentiate, right? I mean, between the visiting players and, and the and the home guys, because you don't obviously are not going to get excited for Nomar Garcia Para. Right. right, right. But they're still fun to say. Yeah. They're still fun to say. And um uh but yeah, for geez, for our guys, it's just you know, Buster, of course, has been, yeah. you know, so much fun uh to announce but yeah it's it's a lot of the uh the visiting guys that I, I have a lot of fun with and you know you're right i i can't give them a lot of energy but it, particularly if it's a it's a name that i it's a beautiful name that i love or even if it's a player that i you know might be a fan i would try to you know, give it just a little extra something in there yes um archie bradley when he was with the diamondbacks um maybe three or four seasons ago he did a piece on their pregame show and they were asking him, what's your favorite ballpark to go to? And he said, Oracle Park. He didn't know my name, but he said that announcer there is fantastic. And then he imitated me announcing number nine, Brandon Belt. Which was awesome. And how, and does, so that, then, and how does that go? It's, I mean, for me, it's like not a big deal. It's just number nine, Brandon Belt. I mean, for me, it's like, but for him, it was like, it, it had some, it resonated for him somehow. And, and then, so their, uh, their broadcast team actually did a feature where Archie and I met and hugged it up and he did the impression for me and everything. And, <laughs> and Jake, that's the other thing. I, I never think that the guys are paying attention to me when I'm announcing them, you know, I like they're in their zone, they're doing their thing, you know, Nomar's doing all of that stuff. Right. And, and and then to find out over the years that they do, I was like, "What is yeah. happening right well, now?" Well, if, if I'm Archie Bradley and I'm and I don't pitch till the seventh or eighth inning, like I'm taking in everything. So I'm sure <laughs> I'm sure he took note of everything that you said, which is really cool that he was able to to imitate or present uh, Brandon Belt's name back to you. Was there was there a name that was like impossible to pronounce, or or one that you that you ever struggled with? No, I, I you know that. That is the main thing I, I got to get right. Right. So I'll, I'll always do my homework. And quite frankly, I watch more ESPN and MLB Network than my husband does. You know, mm -hmm. I, that's how much I love baseball. So I already have a familiarity, I think, with a, a lot of the visiting players. But I always do my homework. I, um, I often will visit either the um, sometimes the PR reps for the, the visiting teams will come in to me and say, do you have any questions? Um, Padres and the Rockies, great guys. They come in every season and check in with me. 
But I'll go in and this is another way I've been able to meet and become friends with a lot of the visiting broadcasters. I'll go in and and ask them. I go, I would just need to double check this pronunciation. And they're all blown away that I do that. And the infected Diamondbacks were like, you know, Rennell, <laughs> there's no other PA announcer that has ever done this. And I said, well, I think it's because I'm a girl, first of all. And <laughs> And I'm a Virgo and they're, you know. Why? Because, because guys don't like to ask for directions. Is, is that what you're getting at? <laughs> you know exactly what I'm saying to you right now, Jake. No. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, you know, women, we just work differently. And um, so I just, you know, I appreciated that. And they appreciate, you know, me taking the time to do that because you don't want to mess that up. This is, this, yeah. even if it's a visiting player, it's still their moment. So, yeah, so that's I, I or I'll listen to it or I'll pull up a video and make sure I got it right. Or and then if it's really tough, I'll I'll write it in my scorebook phonetically to make sure I don't mess it up. Right. Like that, a Danny Echevarria. I went to the when he was with Miami. I was like, I don't even know where to begin with this one. Yeah, it's yeah. beautiful. But I, I you got to help me on that one. So now right. it just rolls off my tongue. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I still look at names like Giannis Antetokounmpo. I'm like, <laughs> like there, there was a. Thank you. There, there was a there. There are moments there where I look at a player's name, whether whatever sport it is, and I'll just say, ah, it's just too many consonants and letters. I, I'll I'll figure it out. I'll let someone else say it first. Um, but that's that's funny. Yeah, Danny Echevarria. That's a uh, that's a tough one. It's, it's so, one of my favorites, though. Do you remember though, Jake? I'm sorry. When uh, when Kevin Hart, the All Star game a few years ago, when he was doing the starting lineups, and, oh, no. and he got to Giannis, and he just he just gave up. He just didn't yes. even try to do the last name. Yeah, the Greek so freak. Good. That's who it is. Um, <laughs> so uh, this month on uh, Meeting on the Mound, we're honoring uh, National Women's History Month, and um, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to talk to you because you're just your career is just so uh, inspiring, not only to other women but but to fellow broadcasters like myself. Um, and currently, you. there are uh, you are one of three women who are major league PA announcers. Uh, Marisol Castro is the PA announcer for the Mets, and just last week, the Oakland A's added Amelia Schimmel as their PA announcer after the death of the great Dick Callahan in January. So, yeah. when you think about this, what are your thoughts on where we are in terms of the progress women have made in the field of PA announcing? Yeah, and I mean, even even beyond the booth, what's happened in the in the last year, in fact, with Kim Ang with the Marlins as general manager, and and uh, Bianca Smith, uh, the Bianca Red Smith, Sox hired yeah. her as a coach. So it's and Alyssa Nacken, and Alyssa our Nacken. own Alyssa Nacken, absolutely. But for me, um, I wish it hadn't taken so long, but I understand why because that's that, it's a job that there's just no turnover in that job. You know, I, I hope to be there as long as, as Bob Shepard was with the Yankees. You know, there's just no turnover in that job. So um, when Marisol got hired, I immediately tweeted my congratulations and my support and, you know, offered all of my support to her. And then, you know, by the next day, we've got each other's numbers and we're texting and, you know, we're we're like besties now. Um, and then the same with Amelia, who got hired by Oakland. Uh, and I, I reached out to her last season when she was filling in for our dearly beloved late Dick Callahan and, you know, offered my support and I, whatever you need, I'm, I'm here to help you. Because for me, Jake, and Dick Callahan was always so great to me as well, as was Roy Steele before him. So great to me. So that was a it's huge, huge loss. Um, but what I told Medisol and Amelia is I, you know, I didn't know about Leslie Sterling doing those two seasons for the Red Sox. 
I wish I had so I could have reached out to her, particularly as a black woman. I wanted, I, I wanted to, I would have loved to have had a conversation with her. I'm in the midst of trying to connect with her now. She's like a, she's a, a, um, a preacher at a church in Cambridge, Massachusetts now. Unbelievable. Google her, Leslie Sterling. Unbelievable. So I'm, I've got to connect with her. I call her another hidden figure. She's somebody we didn't know about. And I want to make sure I get her name out there. But I want to be for Amelia and for Maddie Saul what I didn't have. I didn't have a woman that, you know, I could go to. To I had to figure this out and navigate it all on my own. Sherry was very kind to send me a note, Sherry Davis, when I got the job. But I also know that it was very painful and difficult for her. And um, she spoke out about, you know, not not being um, able to have the opportunity to, to be the voice of the new ballpark. So I, you know, I, I, I just... I wanted to let her stay in her feelings. I didn't, I kind of felt like it might've been putting salt on her wound had I tried to reach out. And I mean, that's how I felt in 2000. I mean, in hindsight, I might've, I might've tried it differently, but there was so, there was so much hype around the whole thing that I could barely catch my breath, right? But I wish I could have talked to Leslie Sterling and I always want to be, and not just for Amelia and Maddie Saul, but the young women that are now coming up in, in management, in the in uh, ballpark operations and in our entertainment department. Cause like I said, I was the only woman there in 2000. So I, I bring them all in with open arms. I want to be the woman for them that, that I didn't have. So I, I texted Amelia and I said, although I may or may not have known about that uh, prior to the announcement, but you didn't hear me say that Jake, yep. but I texted her and I was like, you are now in the exclusive club with myself and Maddie Saul and trying to get us together on a preseason uh, pre Zoom and everything. So it's just it's it's just so important, you know, for women to support other women. And unfortunately, throughout my career, Jake, that has not been the case. And I've always, I've never understood why that is. We as women have enough obstacles to overcome and to fight against. We should not be fighting against each other. Mm. That's not how I roll. Right, right. No, that's cool. And I'm sure... They, they appreciate the, the wisdom that you're able to impart on them as you begin your 22nd season, which is unbelievable. Where, do, where, where does the time go? Um, I, I know, uh, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you, you can't see us visually, but I, I see the World Series ring that you're flashing over oh, there. Is that I'm so, what, what year is that? Is that 2014? I did. I, I didn't realize I had this on oh, today. Oh, this old thing. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Yes, this is, and how insane is it that I have three World Series rings? This is 2014. And look at this, Jake. This is a, a ring um, that we got after the All-Star game in 2007. I was like, who knew Major League Baseball had so much jewelry? This is fantastic. <laughs> they should this open so a store. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So we, I didn't see, I didn't expect this at all. So I'm just, just thrilled beyond belief. It's incredible. Yeah. I mean, you're, you know, you're part of the team just as, just as much as anyone else is. And, and that's cool that they, you know, you know, teams do that for, for their employees. Yeah. So Thank you, you. kind of already talked about your love of the game. And that's obviously the biggest theme on meeting on the mound is we appreciate the game of baseball. We talk to people about why they love the game. And you mentioned your mother as being someone that influenced you. But my question is, is why do you love this game so much? What is it that draws you in? Well, aside from it being passed down, the love of the game being passed down from my grandpa to my mom, who was his only child. Um, and my grandpa obviously followed Negro League baseball and he just loved baseball in general. And 
my mother was born in Texarkana, Texas, and um, my grandpa taught her how to score. She then taught me how to score. It just came down generation to generation. And um, a lot of the barnstorming teams uh, that would go through Texarkana um, get emotional when I think about this, but, uh, you know, in the Jim Crow South, my grandpa, you know, he couldn't, they weren't allowed into the games, but they were sold tickets to sit in trees at people's homes mm. to watch the games. And he did that because he loved the game so much. Um, so I just, I got it. It's my family is such a baseball family, but I also, I love how it's a game of failures. If you think about it. Right. Yes. And, and, it really is a metaphor for life. I mean, I've always said that, but now I really, really have lived it in the last 20 years. I really get it now because this, the same skills and discipline and mental strength, you know, it's every player that I've ever interviewed too, Jake, I'm sure you've heard this too, is they all say it's more mental than it's physical. They all say the game is way to, to be mentally strong for 162 games a season. And I watched them overcome adversity from injuries or going over for four. Man, you got to get back up and, and get back out there the next day. And that's what you have to do in life. And that's something that my parents also taught me along with the love of the sport is like, look, this is just it's the game of life. Baseball is really the game of life. So that was instilled in me at a, at a very early age. And I think it's a beautiful game. I don't I don't I don't understand. Well, I, I'm old school, I guess, because take your time. Same, you know, right? Yes. yes. Say it. Say it louder for the people in the back. Like honestly, like I am all about this game taking as long as it needs to complete. It's a beautiful game, and, and people that that I think a lot of people that aren't into it is like they don't understand a lot of the strategy that goes into it. They're like, oh, it's so slow and it's boring. No, no. Like I'm even in the booth strategizing. I'm like, I'm this. This is gonna be his last at bat. Who's going to pitch? You know what I mean? Right. It's like, so if you don't understand, you know, the beauty and the intricacies of the game and the strategy of the game, I can see why, you know, three and a half hours might be a lot for you, but, but I love it. I think it's a beautiful game. I think we can all learn so much from the game. Um, and the history of the game is huge in my family. And, you know, my parents, in fact, were Dodgers fans because of Jackie Robinson, Jake, of course, right? And then when the Giants moved out here, they switched allegiances. But, um, you know, and now, you know, my I just learned when Mike, Yastrzemski, when Mike Yastrzemski joined our team, my mother said that was one of your grandpa's favorite players, Carl Yastrzemski. Carl, yeah. And I was like, and now I'm introducing his grandkid. I'm announcing his grandkid. Yeah. Right? It's just cool. So. It's just, I mean, I could talk to you all day about all of these connections and and the inspiration and the responsibility and why I love this game. It's just so instilled in me and, and in my family. And and also it's just that summertime with the with the Brooks family. That's what we yeah. did. Every game was always on at a barbecue or a birthday party. I mean, you know, I, I when I and I was I went to Mills College, which sadly in the news this week is now closing. Mills mm. College in Oakland, which is devastating news, but it's an all women's college, and uh, 
the Reggie Jackson World Series, I call it. When he was playing for the Yankees, he hit three home runs in that World Series game. I'm the only, I'm the only one in my dorm watching this game. Like nobody is. I've, I have met no women in college that love baseball like me. I, again, I thought every family was like mine. After every Reggie Jackson home run, I'm calling mom and dad. And we're just like going, you know, we're celebrating and losing it and everything. It's just, it's just so much a part of my upbringing. And then again, the history of Negro League Baseball. And for, for me to, to be working in MLB, the significance of that is huge and it is never lost on me. Yeah, that's a beautiful point to make. And one other point that I wanted to end by saying is that even though you and I, completely different life paths, completely different backgrounds, both love the game of baseball. And when I was hearing you speak, I thought about my own father, my own grandfather, and it's almost the exact same type of passing it down from generation to generation story that you hear from all lifelong baseball fans. The things you talked about with the game of life. My dad talks about that all the time is that it is the, it's the sport that mirrors life the most. And my grandfather too became a Dodgers fan because of Jackie Robinson. My dad started out as a Giants, a New York Giants fan, became a Dodgers fan when they traded away Willie Mays. He was like, you know, the heck with this. He's my favorite player of all time. How are you going to trade away Willie Mays? Mm-hmm. So it's it's interesting how the two of us have now connected and we both have similar stories on how we became to love this game. So I'm honored that you've uh, decided to come on this podcast. Thank you so much, Ronell, for joining me today. Such an honor. Thank you so much. Same here. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Take care. Take care.